From Paul's letter to the Philippians, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Good morning. You know, in any other year, I might have asked whether or not you're familiar with anxiety, uh, whether or not you're familiar with what Paul's talking about in this passage, but let's be honest. Civil unrest, widespread effects of COVID-19, the disruptions of our daily schedules, and the uh, looming election sort of check that box off for us, don't they? So we can skip that part. And and even if you're somehow uh, stoically unbothered by these national events, there are, I am sure, very real and often shifting circumstances in your own life that give you reasons for anxiety. Is that correct? Am I onto something? You know, for example, in my household uh, last month, what started as a leak under our slab has left us without a kitchen for the foreseeable future. And I'm sure that for most of you, that's pretty tame. That's pretty easy. Max Licato, who wrote a really good book on anxiety that I'll be referencing in the sermon, found that anxiety disorders in the United States are the number one mental health problem among women. They're second only to drug and alcohol abuse among men. And men, what do you think drug and alcohol use is used to mask? It's a big deal. It's a big problem. And you know, for children, the average child today exhibits the same levels of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Isn't that astounding? Anxiety is a serious problem. Now, when I use the term anxiety here, here's what I mean. Anxiety is an emotion that is rooted in fear, right? If you're swimming off the coast here in Vero Beach and you encounter a shark, you're going to be flooded with the emotion of fear, right? You're going to, um, you're going to have fight, uh, flight, fight, or freeze kick in, and there's not a lot you can do about that in the moment, is there? But anxiety as a feeling, anxiety as a feeling is a sense of apprehension, sense of worry, it's a sense of unease. If you're swimming and you anticipate encountering a shark, you're not flooded with the emotion of anxiety, you're experiencing the anticipation, the feeling of anxiety. The feeling of anxiety is a bombardment of what-ifs, right? You're familiar with this. What if I'm late to my appointment? What if I'm making the wrong decision? What if I mess up? Oops, I messed up. What if the consequences are severe? What if my parents, my siblings, my spouse, my children don't change for the better? Or if they're fine, what if they change for the worse? Right? I mean, I could go on and on and spike your anxiety right now. Anxiety is often the consequence of perceived chaos of events that are beyond our control. You know, they did a fascinating study on the effects of combat on World War II soldiers on uh, combat soldiers, and what they found was that after 60 days of continuous combat, the ground troops became emotionally dead. Machine guns, air raids, enemy snipers, it's no surprise that they would be anxious to the point of numbing their emotions entirely, right? That makes sense to us, would you agree? What is surprising is the uh, comparative calm of fighter pilots. They had one of the highest mortality rates of anyone engaged in combat, 50% killed in action. But 93% of them reported being happy with their assignments. Why? 
they had their hands on the throttle. And despite the chaos around them, they had the illusion of control. Right? Anxiety is all about us losing that feeling of control. And our anxiety spikes when we're confronted with situations that are beyond our control. That's why our anxious thoughts are often located where? In the future, right? Because if you think about the future, it's not a tangible reality that exists. Not yet. And, the, and, and by its very nature, we can't do anything about it. It's beyond our control. And how much of your anxiety, think about that, how much of what causes you anxiety is in hypothetical futures, right? Things that you have limited control over now. Anxious thoughts are also located in the past, right? Things that are already set in stone, and when they're set in stone, they're, they are beyond our control. Think back, for example, to a truly humiliating moment that you experienced, maybe when you were younger. And if you really think on that, that, it, that same level of anxiety will start to kind of rise up in you, won't it? You'll be right back where you were. Well, you can't do anything about it. It's beyond, our, it's beyond your control. Anxiety also surrounds situations or people in the present that we have limited influence over or the ability to change, right? The next time a toddler has a tantrum in a grocery store, watch how the parents respond. Despite what you all might think, you don't have that much control over a toddler's tantrums. They're in the driver's seat. So what's the solution to anxiety, do you think? Control everything? Plan for every possible contingency in the future. Bury the past. Just bury it and our anxiety along with it. Should we use manipulation and coercion to control the people and situations in the present? What do you think? Control everything. Well, that, those strategies have limits, don't they? They're not guaranteed to work. And the worst part of all is they will consume us if we try, because they will forever be things that are beyond our grasp. So do we numb our anxiety instead? That's another option, isn't it? Do we use substances, distractions, or intentional emotional deadening? Is that how we deal with our anxiety? Well, there's a problem with that too, isn't there? We found that you can't selectively numb emotions. If you try to numb fear or sadness or anxiety, you also end up numbing joy and excitement and affection. So what do we do? Well, let's look at our passage for today in Philippians and delve into the godly wisdom that Paul has imparted to the church at Philippi. We're going to do three points today, three brief encouragements that, we'll, that we will pull from the text this morning. And there's a lot in this text. We could spend months on this text, but we're just going to hit a couple points in it. In the face of anxiety, Paul exhorts the Philippians to Rejoice, request, and receive. A little alliteration today. Rejoice, request, and receive. Let's look back at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You know, one of the most pernicious aspects of anxiety is it has a narrowing effect, doesn't it? It narrows your field of vision. It leads to tunnel vision. It, it constricts your focus or your entire world to the issue that is causing anxiety, doesn't it? Everything else fades away, everything else is unimportant. And it causes us to completely miss out on all the surrounding blessings in our lives, doesn't it? You know, back to the toddler tantrum in the grocery store. In that moment, do you think the parent in the grocery store is thinking, my child is such a blessing from God? Right? Is that parent thinking, you know, 
I'm so, I'm so grateful to not only be able to afford to eat, but to be able to choose my next meal. Is that parent thinking while the toddler's screaming? It's really nice in public, you know? I'm really thankful I was born in the era of air conditioning. Floridians, that's a big one. So I've heard. No, in that moment, the parent is focused on the tantrum, and it's really difficult to gain perspective and appreciate all of the blessings from God. It's difficult to rejoice. Well, rejoicing is something that, that is a lifestyle choice for Christians. It's, it's something that, we, that just pours out of our hearts. It's something that we do when we're in trouble. It's something that we do when things are going smoothly. It's something that we do always, it's something that we do always to set our trajectory. Now, you might think, you know, thanks, Paul. When I'm in a moment of anxiety, it's a little bit difficult to rejoice, and you don't really understand. You don't really know what I'm dealing with. Well, let me tell you something about Paul. He was beaten with rods three times. You know the whipping that Jesus received before the crucifixion? Paul received that same 39 lashes five times. He was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked twice. Who gets shipwrecked twice? And the second time he was shipwrecked, he made it to shore, he crawled up on shore, started a fire, and then got bit by a snake. It's like, are you kidding me? Paul has been deserted by his friends, including John Mark, by the way, who ended up coming back and writing the Gospel of Mark. John had been deserted, I mean, Paul had been deserted by his friends. And he, as he writes this letter to the Philippians about rejoicing, he is in prison again, awaiting the outcome of his trial. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, he has some credibility. And he has some credibility with the church at Philippi because the Philippians have seen him do it. The first time he was at Philippi, he had been unjustly beaten and thrown into prison. And yet he and Silas were both found joyfully singing hymns in their jail cells. They've seen him do this. Rejoice. So how is that possible in the midst of uncertainty and chaos? Well, Scripture continually brings us back to the reasons that we are supposed to rejoice in the first place, right? Remember God's sovereignty. While your life might feel like it's spinning out of control, remember that nothing is beyond our Heavenly Father's grasp. You might not be in control, but that does not mean that He has lost control. Remember God's mercy. While you may be in the midst of unspeakable suffering and you don't have any good answers as to why something is happening to you, and you're not promised those answers, and neither am I, remember that God has not abandoned you. The God who sent His Son to die on the cross in your stead, the God who knows exactly how many hairs are on your head, has not abandoned you. And remember, as Father Chris mentioned, all is a gift. All is a gift. Everything you own, every moment you have with your loved ones, every breath you take, everything that we have is a gift. It's not something that we've earned. It's not something that we have natural rights to. Everything that we have is a gift. Rejoice in the Lord. And you know, it's really powerful in those moments when you're able to tear your focus, your narrow tunnel vision away from the source of your anxiety and fix your eyes on Him. Because in those brief moments, everything else is put in its proper place. 
and you're able to remember that He is God and you are not. And while there may be difficulties that are beyond you, there are none that are beyond Him. Which brings us to our second exhortation, request. Look at me again at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. What's Paul encouraging us to do? Pray. You know, imagine that you had a machine for a second, right? That uh, imagine we invented this machine where every thought that came across your head, right, every, every thought that went through your mind, was, there was a transcript that was created of it, right? Like, like, a, like a movie script. And it was all kind of typed out, and, and you could print it out, right? Now imagine that you're looking at those transcripts that have been printed out. How many words do you think would be devoted to your talking to God about your problems versus you talking to yourself about those problems? What do you think? And who has the better shot at fixing things that are beyond your control? Pray. Paul's calling us to pray. Let your requests be known to God, and then give it over to Him. You know, I mentioned earlier that our house has been a wreck recently. Uh, we had plumbers to replumb it, had a mold remediation team to come in and work on it, and now a drywall expert is kind of working to patch things up. And some of you are really handy, and I respect it, but I'm not. So, I, so we hired out uh, to people who are. And then what I did is after I hired it out and, and gave the work to them, I made sure that I hovered over them the entire time, right? And then I provided pointers about which tool that they ought to use and which methods to fix it, right? Didn't I do that? And then I kept on asking them, are you done yet? Every three to five seconds. Have you fixed the problem yet? Let's go. No, I didn't do that. I didn't do any of that. I got out of their way. When Paul writes that we should pray with supplication, and that word is key, supplication, he is encouraging us to pray with a spirit of humility, not demanding that our will be done our way and our timing, but praying open-handedly and making our request to God and then leaving Him with the result. And let me tell you, that may be the hardest thing that you do in your faith. This is the posture found throughout the Bible in the face of calamity. A while ago, we mentioned three Israelites, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were about to be thrown into a fiery furnace, right? And they said, and they said to the king, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, we will not worship the king. We will only worship the Lord. When Jesus was praying in Gethsemane, he prayed that God would spare him the cross, that God would spare him from the full cup of God's wrath. But he ended his prayer, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And Anna Spafford as she was on the deck of a sinking ship, prayed the same prayer. You may not know this, um, but there was a couple, uh, Horatio and Anna Spafford, uh, that lived in the 19th century, and they had uh, five children. And uh, their five children were, um, 
and, and they were raising their five children, they were strong Christians, they were involved in their community, and the youngest one ended up um, dying of a disease. Uh, you know, again, medical care wasn't quite then what it was now. And then they lost all their businesses in a fire. And then they, uh, they started trying to put things back together, but they decided to go on a trip over to England to see their friend, D.L. Moody. And so they pack up their, their four remaining daughters, and they're getting ready to go on the trip, but then Horatio, the husband, is called to stay back to take care of some business. He had a few business arrangements, so he said, I'm going to get on the next ship, and I'll meet you all up there in a few days. You know, I'll head over in a few days and, and take the journey. Um, and so Anna said, okay. So she packed up her four daughters, uh, 11, 9, 5, and 2, and they got on a ship to head over. But on their transatlantic journey, they were struck by another ship, and their ship began to sink. And so as their ship was sinking, Anna grabbed her four daughters and brought them onto the deck, and they prayed. And, you know, they said it was the Lord who commanded the winds and the waves. And then Anna prayed, Lord, preserve us from this. Save us from this disaster. But even if you don't, I pray that you would give us the courage to make it through. Well, it took about 12 minutes for that ship to sink. And later, a fishing vessel found Anna floating on a piece of driftwood, uh, unconscious but alive. And he pulled her on board and took her to England, and she sent a message to her husband, and it said, Saved alone. What shall we do? So her husband, Horatio, got on the next ship over, and as he was wrestling with his journey, with this experience, um, he went down below decks and composed the first four lines of a hymn. And you might know this hymn. Uh, it is well. It is well with my soul. You know, and you might remember a line in the hymn, uh, when sorrow like sea billows roll, my God has taught me to say it is well with my soul. How do you do that? How do you do that? How do you, how do you pray in the midst of uncertainty, God, not my will but yours be done when you've got four little daughters on the deck of a ship? How do you compose a hymn declaring the peace of God? Because the Christian, when they pray, we are called to make our requests to God and to trust that He is good and sovereign and leave Him the, with the result. Our prayers of supplication are a recognition that we are surrendering our desire to control, and our posture of humility is a recognition that His ways are beyond our comprehension. And this brings us to our third and final point, receive. I'm going to take one last look at the text as we wrap up, beginning in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We are, every single one of us, striving after peace. We want to be free of the what-ifs. We want to be able to accept the faults of the past and to live self-assured in the present. And while Paul is addressing ways to manage anxiety in our passage, I want to make one last thing clear this morning. The Bible is not merely a book of ancient wisdom and guidance for daily living. Paul's exhortations are not merely three steps to a more peaceful life. This isn't a self-help book. The Bible is the story of God's relationship with man. 
And the peace of God that comes from surrendering control to Him is not merely some emotion or feeling that overcomes us. It is the experience of God's presence. And so to rejoice, request, and receive is not a recipe for self-help. It's not the advice of a therapist or a prescription, as helpful as those may be. It is an invitation to commune with the living God, and it's an invitation to rest in Him. Let us pray. Holy Father, we're thankful for the moments that you have made yourselves present in our lives. I pray that you would point us back to those moments for the assurance of you. I pray that you would give us strength to endure, fortitude to face whatever comes, and help us to rest in the hope that you have promised us. To your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook. Facebook.